Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. God led me to an old sermon I had from, from about seven years ago. And, and I got to looking at him going, well, now, why would I be wanting to do that? And, um, and so, you know, just as the afternoon has worn on, I've, I've just seen some things in this. And, you know, Pastor's been talking about the, the things that God has prepared for us. And a lot he's been saying about how um, God has prepared a path for us. There's a race for us to run as individuals. There's a course that he has laid out for our lives. There's purpose to our lives. There's assignments in our life. And, uh, and God took me back to the Old Testament, to David. And we're going to talk about David tonight. And when you look at the life of David, it is a story about a man who fulfilled the purpose God had for his life. He had an assignment that he finished and finished well. Not that there weren't mistakes along the way. If anybody ever thinks that you're going to come to know God, and that you're going to be perfect in the way you walk before him. Let me tell you, let me, let me give you a rewind of, of my life yesterday. <laughs> and, but you're not. You're going to fail. You're going to make some, some small mistakes. You're going to make some huge mistakes. But you're recoverable no matter what the mistakes are. And David proved that time and time again. So let's start. Let's just go to First Samuel 13, verse 14. Hallelujah. First Samuel verse, uh, chapter 13, verse 14. When you talk about David, one of the things that we all think of, the phrase comes to mind that he was a man after God's own heart. And here in First Samuel, the 14th verse here, it says, The Lord has sought him a man after his own heart. Do you know God's been searching for you? He, he, he looks at you as a person who has his, his own heart. You see this phrase again over in Acts 13, verse 22. It says, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. What a mouthful to say about somebody. A man who will fulfill all my will. Second Chronicles sixteen nine says, For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. And that's the thing about David. He was a man whose heart was completely the Lord's. Oswald Chambers or Oswald Sanders said this about David. It says, He swung between extremes, but paradoxically evidenced an abiding stability. The oscillating needle always return to its pole, God himself. And that is the key to success in our lives, is always returning to the place that keeps us steady, God himself. And so, you know, we're going to talk about David and about some of the attributes of David and about some of the, some of the ways that we can look at David and we can see how we can be just like him. Number one, he developed his relationship with God early. F.B. Meyer said this, 
about David because, you know, we, we think of him as a, as a shepherd out on the, on the hills, you know, with the sheep. And it's because, I mean, you know, he's the one who wrote, the Lord is my shepherd. Out there on the hills with the sheep, he wrote, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. I mean, can you just, can you just see this? Uh, F.B. Myers wrote this. He said, nature was his nurse, his companion, his teacher. The moorlands around Bethlehem, forming the greater part of the Judean plateau, did not, however, present features of soft beauty, but are wild, gaunt, strong character breeding. Their shepherds have always led and watched their flocks, and their David first imbibed that knowledge of natural scenery and of pastoral pursuits which colored all his afterlife and poetry as the contents of the vat of the dyer's hand. Such were the schools and schoolmasters of his youth." David found himself in a place where he was alone, and he didn't waste his time. He put it to use. He took advantage of the opportunity of being able to concentrate on the Creator, not on all the other stuff that could have distracted him. And if there's anything we need to do today is we need to find that sort of place of solitude where we're not distracted by other things, but we're able to find ourselves in places. And, and I know the kind of lives we live, we can't do that 24 hours. David couldn't either. He had sheep to watch. Uh, you know, somebody was always running off. You've got to go find them, you know, just, just like anything else. You've you got, you got things to do. But he made a point of taking advantage of the time he had and not being distracted by all these other things. And we are too distracted by life. Life needs to slow down. And, the, and you can slow it down. You can make a choice to slow it down, to get to the place where you find that place of solitude where you can concentrate on the Creator, just like David did. Under this same area of developing his relationship was David was out there in a place of obscurity. He was alone. There was nobody out there to say, attaboy, good job, David. He was out there with a job to do, and nobody expected anything less than that. They expected, and you weren't going to get applauds and accolades. He was just out there doing his job, unseen, unknown, Unappreciated? Can you imagine, did the sheep really appreciate him? I don't know. Don't know that they did. Unapplauded? His own, father's, own father and brothers didn't even consider him when, when the, the prophet came along and said, show me your sons. Didn't even, didn't even think about him until the prophet had to say, it's none of these guys. Do you have any more? Are there is any more anywhere, anywhere? Oh, yeah, David's out there on the... The hills with the sheep. We'll go get him. And when he came in, he was the one. Can you imagine what his brothers must have thought? I'm going, oh, that little pipsqueak, who does he think he is? I mean, he's the runt of the bunch. I mean, and, and the prophet Samuel wants him? What for? They, they didn't value him because they didn't even think about him. How about out there developing a relationship with God? with the monotony of his life. All day long, you're watching sheep. All day long, you're moving them from one pasture area to another. 
All day long, you're keeping a vigilant watch for predators. All day long, you're going to get the ones that have wandered off and got caught in a, in a bush somewhere. You've got to go untangle them. You've got to count them every so often just to, just to make sure they're all here. Monotonous kind of a life. But yet, in, in, this, in the never-ending, this is what I wrote down, in the never-ending routine of the same things each day, in that monotony, he found time to spend with God. He also, in that time, as he was developing his relationship with God, he, he, he had a reality check. The world is not always kind. The world is not always, you know, helping you. There are dangers in the world. And he experienced them when he had a lion and a bear to deal with. They were impacting his ability to do the job he was assigned to do, and he had to take care of it. You know, sometimes we, we sometimes have the idea that when God gives us a job to do, that it's going to be light and easy. Well, in one, in one sense, it is if we depend on him and the grace that he's graced us with and the ability he's graced us with to get the job done. In that sense, it's light and easy. But there are times when you just have to dig your heels in, and you have to do some things that stretch you, that challenge you, that call for you to make sure that, that God is the one you're depending on. But he developed that relationship early. Can you imagine developing that kind of relationship at the age he's, he's a teenager, for goodness sake. Just a teenager. And God was putting him in a place to be used greatly and mightily. You know, it's in the little things that we really prove ourselves, not the big things. It's in the little things. The little things that our own, of our own selves we think, it's no big deal. Does this really matter? Yes, it really matters. Whether you're faithful in the little things or not does really matter. Over in Luke 16, verse 12, it says he's, he's faithful in, in that which belongs to another, whether it's God or man. You know, those sheep didn't belong to David. They belonged to his father. And yet he was faithful in the responsibility he had been given where those sheep were concerned. Matthew 25 is, talks about being faithful in little. He's faithful in little, be faithful in much. Um, you're not going to move ahead with the, in the things of God unless you learn to be faithful in the little. God can't trust you with the much until he can trust you with the little. And David learned those things out there. He learned to worship God as a lifestyle. And so many Christians are lacking that today. They're down in the dumps. They're molly grubbing. They're whining. They're complaining. They're looking for somebody to join their pity party. Because they haven't learned to have a lifestyle of praise. You don't have to have the choir. You can be a choir of one. Because I, I tell you, I, I saw where David at one time had to encourage himself in the Lord. Nobody was there to do it for him. He had to encourage himself. And, you know, we learned, need to learn that lifestyle of praise. Listen, when God is, is developing any inner qualities in a person, he's developing your character, your spiritual character. He is never in a hurry. He's never in a hurry. These things take time. And so often we are just so ready to jump out there, you know, and let's go. I've got big things ahead. Well, maybe you do, but slow down. Because you're not ready for the big things until you have developed some things here. You know, David's time on those hills with, with God just being alone, they were, it wasn't wasted. That was preparation. 
And preparation, pastor's been saying this, preparation time is never wasted. Never wasted. Proverbs 18, verse 16 says, A man's gift makes room for him and brings him before great men. Philippians 1, 6 says, He who has begun a good work in you will perform it and complete it. Hebrews 6, 10 says, God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love. Listen, the apostle Paul worked for years as tent maker before he ever entered the ministry. Jesus himself was 30 years old before he stepped into ministry. You can't fulfill the plan God's got for you without preparation. I am sad to say that there are too many times people jump into ministry, get born again, and they just jump into ministry without any preparation time. Listen to me. A testimony is not a call. Because you see celebrities who suddenly get born again and everybody's fawning over them and they're making a big deal about them, that is not a call to the ministry. They have a great testimony, but it's not a call. And there are too many people who have looked at that as a call and have gone out and, oh, they're going from place to place and doing, doing this and doing that. It's a great testimony, but that doesn't make you a minister. There's some preparation time that needs to go with that so that you can do, if he has called you into a ministry, that you're effective the way God intends for you to be effective. I have seen, I mean, I've seen so many times where just, everybody was just beside themselves that, oh, did you hear so-and-so got born again? Oh, they're an old rocker. Oh, they're an old this. Oh, they're like this. And I'm going, so what? That doesn't make them a minister. Everybody shouldn't be going gaga. It, 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 it does a disservice to that person in so many ways. It gives them the idea that, that God's got more for them the, in, their, in the plan he has for them than what he does have. And, and it could wind up, if they don't stay the course and stay faithful, they could wind up hurting more people than they help. And so, you know, just, you just remind, remember that. A testimony is not necessarily a call. Uh, I, I'm thinking about somebody that, that we've known here that had a tremendous testimony of how God turned their life around and they took that as some kind of a call to the ministry. And honestly, there was no call. Absolutely none. I mean, it's a great testimony, but that doesn't equate to the same thing. And, and, they, and they felt like it was and they attempted to make it a call and it fell apart, and they became disillusioned, and they eventually backslid. So, I'm just telling you, preparation is never wasted. Preparation is absolutely necessary. Okay, number two. We, we started off with number one. He developed his relationship with God early. Number two, he kept his humility. Listen, when the prophet of God anointed him with that oil, he didn't tell him what he was anointing him for. And David didn't try to make something out of it. He just went back to his job, tending the sheep. I, I kind of want to say that he probably had gotten into a place where his relationship with the Lord was such that he knew that God would take him where he needed to go when the time was right. And so for now, his job was just to go back and take care of the sheep. There was no indication that he was supposed to do anything any differently. It, uh, 
It wasn't very long after that that King Saul called for David to come and play his harp for him. Saul was afflicted with some evil spirits, and when David would come in there and would play for him, you know, when this presence of God would come in, then that 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 demonic pressure on Saul would be relieved, and he would he would be better. David would leave from there and go back to the sheep. How many of us could could have done that? Could have just, okay, go do what I was asked to do. Now I'm going to go back over here. Go do what I was asked to do. Now go back over here. When it looked like it was so lowly, so unimportant, so unappreciated, and yet he kept just, just going back to where God had him. You know, but even later, you know, humility was still there. He, he didn't lose it. In 2 Samuel verse 7, it says, He danced before the Lord with all his might. And his wife thought it was a very undignified thing to do and told him all about it. You know, you can't get so important in your own sight that you can't worship God with all your might. I should get more amens than that. You know, sometimes it's not a matter of just being so important in your own sight, just being so full of yourself that, you know, everybody's looking at me, so I can't, I can't, I can't freely worship God. I can't really, I can't dance before the Lord. I can't run. I can't shout. I can't lift my hands. I can't say amen, because what would people think? Well, that's taking a little bit too much for your, of yourself as an important thing. You know, you, you need to get to the point where you're humble enough before God that you'll do whatever it takes, whether it's say amen, whether it's lift your hands, whether it's dance, whether it's run, whether it's shout, whether it's sing, whatever it is. That's part of being humble before God, just to move when he moves on you. And David did that. You know, when it comes to the story of, of Goliath, uh, David had just been sent to take his brother's food. And he comes up and he hears this giant just mocking the people of Israel. Just, man, he's going, what's going on? So they tell him, this giant, this Philistine, you know, he's calling us out and, and nobody will go out there and fight him. And, and David heard that something, there would be some kind of, some kind of something, you know, for the man who went out there and fought. And he's going, so, so what's going to be done for the, for the man that, 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 uh, that takes care of old Goliath? Let's see, where is, where is that? Did I write that down? Uh, yeah, 1 Samuel 17. Hallelujah. I want to see what, your, what his brother is. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so David's asking in, in verse 26. He's asking, now, um, uh, you know, what's going to be done? Now, if you go back to the previous verse, it tells him that the, the man who, who goes out against Goliath and slays him is going to get great riches from the king. He will get the king's daughter. And the household that he comes from will be tax-exempt forever. Hallelujah! <laughs> That's some pretty good stuff. So anyway, David's, so, so David's asking, well, now... What's going to be different for the guy who kills this Philistine? But he adds to it in verse 26 and takes away the reproach from Israel. See, his eyes weren't on just natural things. His eyes were on protecting the name 
of Israel and the name of his God. And But look what his brother said to him in verse 28. And Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spoke unto the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? Few sheep. I suspect it was more than a few. Uh, I know your pride and the naughtiness of your heart, for you've come down to what you can just see the battle. And David's going, What have I done? I just showed up with food. What? But David went on to kill the the giant. David went on to take away the reproach of Israel. David went on to magnify God. And you know what? In this story, what I see is is that that the third thing is that, that he always recognized God as the source of his blessing and his ability. And here in second in First Samuel seventeen, and in verse uh, what is it um, thirty seven, he recognized God as the source of why he was going to be able to go out there and defeat the giant. He said, "The Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, He will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine." He was confident, not in himself, but in the God who had already showed Himself strong. And, and, and delivered him. Let's, let's face it, he's a teenager. What real, real chance did he have against a lion and a bear? About the same chance as he had against a nine-foot giant. Not really good odds. The bookies would never have taken the bet. But he went out there, and he took care of business. Now, number four, he remained a worshiper all of his life. We've already said this, First Samuel 30, verse 6, says he encouraged himself in the Lord. If you know the story that surrounds that verse, the enemy had come while David and his men were away, and they had captured their, their wives and their children and taken all their things, and the men were distressed and, and angry, and, and everybody was mully-grubbing. And I think, it, I think that's the area that says they hung their harp on a willow. They just, oh, oh, poor is me, woe is me. But David encouraged himself in the Lord. It's a key. It's a key. The times when it seems the darkest, the times when it seems the most challenging, the times when it seems like there is no way out, we have to learn to encourage ourselves in the Lord. And we go back to to 2 Samuel 7, that he danced before the Lord. Leaders, as a leader... And he was a leader. He was king at the time he did that. Leaders lead not just in natural things, but they lead in spiritual things as well. You know, we go to a lot of different places and a lot of different churches, and, and you know who the, the biggest worship leader in the church really is? Anybody got a clue? The biggest worship leader in the church is the pastor. Not the guy up here singing, but the pastor. How many times have I gone into a church service and praise and worship's going on and the pastor's down here looking around, doing this, you know, not engaged at all? How do you expect your people to get engaged if you're not engaged? We've always said that the hardest bunch of, bunch of a congregation or, or assembly to preach to is a bunch of preachers. Because they're second-guessing. Okay, let's see. I would have said that a different way. Oh, no, I would have used a different illustration. Oh, maybe I can use that next week at, you know, at my church. You know, they're just, they're out to lunch sometimes. 
But in a, in a local church setting, the biggest worshiper in the church, the leader of the worship, really is your pastor. And I think if you know you look around on any particular service when praise and worship is going on, I think you'll see your pastor as a worshiper. He's not interested in you during praise and worship. He's interested in God. His focus isn't out here. It's, it's upward. And that's what it ought to be. Leaders ought to be leading the way in spiritual things. Leading the way in praise and worship, leading the way in prayer, leading the way in giving, leading the way in in every aspect of spiritual life. That's what leaders do. Then, David was a loyal friend. Rule number five, by the way. He was a loyal friend. You know, because a real friend will defend and encourage. You, You see that. You know, the relationship that David had with Jonathan. And, and he was loyal to Jonathan to the very end. And, and beyond, beyond Jonathan's life. He loved him. He cared for that family. He, uh, you, you see the story of, of how David went and found Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth, who had, been, who had been injured and was crippled. And he took care of him the rest of his life. Number six, he was a man of integrity. These are all things that have to do with running your race. He was a man of integrity. Though treated badly by Saul, if you go with me to, I think it's 1 Samuel chapter 18, you're really right close right here, verse 30. I think this is it. In In this chapter, you've seen where the people are, their hearts are beginning to turn toward David, and, and Saul is very upset about all this. Um, and, and Saul was not happy about this. And yet, in verse 30, it says, David behaved himself more wisely than all the servants of Saul, so that his name was, the old King James says, much set by. But in the margin it says, in the highest repute. A man of integrity will always go far. A man of integrity God can always use. A man of integrity God can always honor and promote. And that's what David was. He was a man of integrity. You know, in First Samuel 24, you're going to find a place where where. They had opportunity to harm Saul in that cave, and they chose not to. He, David would not even entertain the thought of harming a man that God had anointed for king. Wouldn't entertain such a thought. And was, and was upset that somebody did even just cut off his skirt. I mean, they didn't harm him physically, but they, they dishonored the man. And David was upset People of integrity get upset when they see other people being dishonored and disrespected. At the end, in 1 Samuel chapter 24, this is what happened. As Saul has come into the, to the, to the place where he's, he recognizes some things and he knows that that his time as king has, has come and gone. It says in verse 6, the end of verse 16 of chapter 24, it says, And Saul lifted up his voice and wept, and he said to David, You are more righteous than I, 
For you have rewarded me for, with good, whereas I have rewarded you evil. And you have shown this day how you have dealt well with me. For as much as when the Lord delivered me into your hand, you did not kill me. For if a man find his enemy, will he let him go away? Wherefore the Lord reward you good for that, that thou hast done to me this day. And now behold, I know well that thou shalt surely be king, and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. A man of integrity. You know, I can't always say that about everybody. You know, sometimes we're tempted, you know, when we've been wronged to not take the high road, to not take the best road, to not walk in love, to hold grudges, to rejoice at somebody else's calamity, to uh, want to gloat over the fact that they're falling while you're rising. Not David, a man of integrity. A man of integrity goes far. Number six, he was inclusive of others. First Samuel 22, 2. Uh, you know, David is just such a wonderful, wonderful example. <laughs> now, this, wouldn't, this would not exactly have been my choice. Verse 2, it says, Everyone that was in distress and everyone that was in debt and everyone that was discontented gathered themselves unto him, and he became a captain over them, and there were with him about four Hundred men. What a motley crew that sounds like. I'm telling you what. It's like everybody who's distressed, in debt. Oh, my word. Are you kidding me? God, help me. Come on. Give me somebody who's got something here I can use. But he included all these guys. And if you go on over into Second Samuel 23, you're going to find the names of some of these men. You know, the nice thing about it is... David took them in and he made something out of them. Because they connected themselves to him, they became mighty men in their own right. Matters who you connect yourself to. Matters what church you connect yourself to. It matters what company you connect yourself to. You, God has brought people in here, you know, over the years that you, you look at them and go, oh, my word, can anything be done with this? And yet a few years goes by and you find out what a jewel you have in these people. What a blessing, a treasure trove that that person has brought into your life. Don't ever just, you know, just at face value look at somebody and go, they don't have anything that, that I want. They don't have any, I don't have any use for them. I don't have anything in common with them. Did David have anything in common with people who were distressed and in debt? I mean, come on. Discontented? Did he have anything in common with them? No, he didn't at the moment. But he kept them around him. And, and as they developed into these mighty men, he, he enjoyed the fruit of the fact that they became mighty men. These men would have gone anywhere with him done anything with him. And they did. They went into battle with him. They fought him. They went everywhere with him. They did exploits because David included them in the days when they were distressed, discontented, and in debt. What an opportunity. You know, as we go through our lives, 
Don't ever in your life, in the path that God has set out for you, ever take an opportunity to look at somebody and dismiss them as having no value. Everyone has value. And if you'll stop and just look, God will show you the value in them. And God will help you develop the value in them a lot of times. You know, just because you see something all crumpled up on the ground doesn't mean it's worthless. You might pick that up and unfold it, you know, and uncrumple it and find out it's a $100 bill. Woo! That's good news. But for most people, they just see the piece of trash on the ground and pass by it. Don't look at people as trash. Don't look at people as unimportant. But pick them up when you have an opportunity and help get the folds out, get the wrinkles out, to get the, the stuff out of their lives that have caused them to be wadded up and thrown to the side. And I'm telling you what, you'll find some valuable treasure every time. Every time there's valuable treasure there. Uh, number eight, he gave honor to where it was due. You know, we go back to the two opportunities he had to kill Saul. And he didn't. He absolutely would not do it because of the honor he had. Maybe not just for the man, but for the office that God had ordained him at one time for. You know, I look back and and Saul was not God's choice. You know, that was not God's timing for a king. I think God had in mind a king all along, but it wasn't time for it. But the people insisted. And he told Samuel, okay, give him a king. And so he, he, he found somebody that looked the part of a king, sometimes tall and handsome and, and he-man, you know, and they anointed him and people followed him and he had, the, he had the bearing of a king, but he didn't have the character of a king. It didn't last. So just because somebody looks the part doesn't mean they are the part. And yet David honored the fact that God had called him to be king of Israel. He honored that. He honored it so much that when Saul was finally killed in battle, that David mourned for him, genuinely mourned for him and for his sons. And 2 Samuel 2, he praised the men who buried Saul for their kindness and their loyalty to the king. Praised them. You know, it, it's, it's important that you give honor where honor is due. Whether you personally like the person, you, you need to honor the place God has put them and the office God has called them to. You know, and it could be, it could be something just as, as minor as a department head. And, and you're serving in a department around here. It could be as minor as honoring your department head. You know, you think about honoring somebody, you think, well, that's the pastor, that's pastoral staff. No, how about honoring just your department head? How about just honoring them by doing what they ask you to do without complaining, without saying, well, I really don't like that particular job. Can I do something else? Can you, make, can you move me here to some other place? That's not honoring. That's dishonor. That's total dishonor. And just because it's not the pastor that you're saying it to doesn't mean it's any less dishonorable. There's my soapbox for the moment. (laughs) Um, 
David understood by honoring Saul that it was never his place to remove Saul, that it was God's place. It was God's job. It was God's timing. It was God's responsibility. And when it was time for David, then God would put David in the place he needed to be. But he could not have done that had David not been an honorable man that he was towards Saul. He could, he could have detoured the plan of God by not being an honorable man. Number nine, he stayed with the call of God on his life. God had a purpose for David, and, and David's purpose was to establish Israel as the kingdom that it needed to be. They established themselves in the whole area of who they wanted, and yet he wanted so badly to build God a temple, a place that would reflect the glory and the splendor of the Father God. And yet the Lord said, no, no. I appreciate your heart, but no, you've, you've been a man of war. You've been a man who shed blood. I can't let you do that but I will give that job to your son. I will give him that. And so what you see over in First Chronicles, you're not too far away from there, First Chronicles, hallelujah, chapter 28. That's, that's where he told him that he, he would not let him build the temple, even though it was in his heart to do. He just said, no, you, 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 can't, you can't do that. In uh, chapter 28, verse uh, 5, it says, uh, and all, this is David taught, and of all my sons, for the Lord has given me many sons, he's chosen Solomon, my son, to sit upon the, kingdom, the throne of the kingdom of the Lord over Israel. And he said unto me, Solomon, your son, shall, he shall build my house and my courts, for I have chosen him to be my son, and I will be his father. And you go on in verse, in chapter 29, though David could not physically build the temple for God, he knew it was going to his son. He did a part. He gathered. If you see in, in chapter 29, David gathered up things to put in the temple, things to be used in the building of the temple. He, I might not can build it, but I can provide for the building of the temple. He did the part that he could do. He couldn't do the ultimate part, but he, there, there was a part he could participate in, and he did. And, and I have, I, I don't know what the, the number is, but over, let's see, I have no idea what. In verse 4 it says, 3,000 talents of gold, 7,000 talents of refined silver to overlay the, the walls of the house. You know, I don't know what that is in today's money, but it's huge. Absolutely huge. David accumulated all this stuff so that he could present it for the work of God. He did what he could, and he stayed with his, his call. And lastly, his parting wisdom to his son was to serve God always. Go with me to 1 Kings 2. Verses 1 through 4. Now the days of David drew nigh that he should die, and he charged Solomon his son, saying, I go the way of all the earth. Be there, thou strong, therefore, and show yourself a man. And keep the charge of the Lord your God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes and his commandments, and his judgments and his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do, and whithersoever you turn yourself that the Lord may continue his word, which he spoke concerning me, saying, If your children take heed to their way, to walk before me in truth with all their heart and all their soul, there shall not fail, said he, a man 
on the throne of Israel. And had they done that, this would have been proven true. God was true to the ones who did follow him. But he gave him that promise that there would always be someone of his house on the throne. And, you know, ultimately, Jesus was that last and final one that who, who serves on the throne of Israel forever and ever. In First Chronicles 28, uh, verse 9, Amplified says this. It says, And you, Solomon, my son, know the God of your father. Have personal knowledge of him. Be acquainted with and understand him. Appreciate, heed, and cherish him, and serve him with a blameless heart and a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and minds and understands all the wanderings of the thoughts. If you seek him, inquiring for and of him, and requiring him as your first and vital necessity, you will find him. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. Take heed now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a house for a sanctuary. Be strong and do it. Let me tell you, part of your assignment, just like David had, part of our assignment in this life is how we raise our children. The legacy that we live before them, the legacy we leave behind when we go. The fact that we put this, this in him, in our children, and that, they, and that they fulfill the plan of God because God doesn't call you to something and not have something for your children. But he, he intends for us to take the, the assignment that he's given us and demonstrate it in front of those that he's entrusted to us so that they can run their race, so that they can finish their course, so that they can fulfill the plan of God in their lives. You know, we have, we have to, to keep our assignment, you know, in everything. And sometimes it's not just, it's not an assignment that's just out there to the world, to the, to the unsaved world, to our brothers and sisters. Sometimes it's in our home. Sometimes it's our assignment is in our home. And what good would it do if we get to heaven and part of our home is not there with us? What would it, would it have been worth it? No matter what you did, it's not worth it if you don't have your family with you. None of it's worth it. So I want you to understand that you can look at the life of David and you can learn from him how to run your race, how to finish your course, how to stay with the plan of God for your life and how to leave a lasting legacy where somebody can look back at your life. And we're looking back at the life of David centuries later, centuries, thousands of years, looking back and saying, he was a man after God's own heart. When we leave this life, we ought to be able to stand before God and hear him say, well done. But for the people who are left behind on this earth, they should be able to look back at us and go, they were a man, a woman after God's own heart. And that's what impacted my life. And that's what enables me to do the job God has called me to do because I saw them do the, God, the job God called them to do. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.